0: Thank you for listening to the hope church podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. Oh my goodness. Well, good to see you all this morning. Thank you for being with us. If it's your first time here at hope church, um, we dedicate babies like this every single Sunday, so this is normal. <laughs> if it's your first time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we want to say thank you for being with us today. If I haven't met you yet, my name's Pastor Josh, and you've already met my wife, Brianne, and we're just so thrilled with what the Lord's doing at our church. Isn't it good to be a part of something that's that God's a part of? <laughs> I want um, <clears throat> to just share with you for a moment regarding giving. And we're regarding tithes and offerings, and then I'm going to teach for a few minutes. I know we've already been, we've already had almost a full service in here today, but um, I want to begin with a quick announcement. At the beginning of this month, we announced that our giving platform was changing to a new software system. We left the old giving platform and we uh, integrated with Planning Center, which is the software that our church uses to run pretty much everything that we do uh, happens and is facilitated by Planning Center. So um, we switched over to that platform at the beginning of this year. Uh, For those who had scheduled recurring gifts on the old system, uh, you'll need to log into the new platform to the to planning center and reestablish those gifts as they will not transfer to the new system automatically. So you do that by visiting hopeboon.com and clicking on give at the very top of the website. The old giving form and all recurring gifts that were in the system that happened automatically have been disabled and shut down. So, uh, so if you had gifts on the old platform, you'll need to reestablish them on the new Uh, But it's very easy to do. Go to hopeboon.com and click on the button that says give. I do want to read to you a scripture about giving because I think that everything that we do should be based on the Bible. Can you say amen? So let me read for you from Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Most people are familiar with this if you've gone to church any length of time. But I'm going to read to you from verse 8 through verse 10. It says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. What a cool idea. What a cool response from God. You know, this is the only place in scripture that God actually invites us to test him. Other places in scripture tell you not to test the Lord, but this is the only place in scripture where God says, listen, I'm going to prove how good I am to you. Try it. Test me out on this one. He says that we ought to bring the tithes into the storehouse. Tithing is the first 10% of our income, and it's given to God as an act of worship and as a declaration that God is first in our lives. Just some basics, man. A tithe means a tenth. That's why we use that word. That's why it's you see it written here in the scripture. We give to God our our, our best because he's He's worthy of it. Amen? Because he deserves it. Tithing's really not about us. It's about honoring God. That's, that's why it's designated the way that it is in scripture. Tithe means a tenth, not whatever we feel like God deserves that week. It's not a tip. Amen? It's so, well, you did a good job this week, Lord. We've give you a little bump in the, uh, bump in the old offer. God sets this all up by talking about robbery. And that's the point that I want to make to you this morning, that he starts by saying, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. And, and it's interesting to me. It makes me scratch my head and go, how in the world could you rob God when everything belongs to him anyways? How could you rob God? You know, your money is really his. Before you give it to him and after you give it to him, it's all his anyways. If you hold on to it, it's still his. The Bible says in Psalms, "The earth is the Lord and the earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to him." So, in what way are we robbing God? Well, it's real simple. When we refuse to do things his way, when we refuse to put him first, We rob him of an opportunity to bless us. We rob him of an opportunity to prove his faithfulness in our lives. And that's what tithing really and truly is all about. You will never know that God is faithful until you trust him enough to put yourself in a situation where you need to rely on him. That's what tithing is all about. That's why we give. Amen. I want to encourage you today to obey the scripture, do as God has commanded us to do in his word. Let's pray today. Father in heaven, we thank you for an opportunity to give into your kingdom. We thank you for this opportunity to come and bring our tithes, Lord, as the scripture says, to prove you as faithful today in our lives. Lord, may our hearts remain tender as we bring these offerings and these tithes to you. Lord, that we would always remember to put you first in our lives, not second, not third, not fifth, not 10th but that you would occupy the number one position, the number one place in our hearts. So this morning, it's with joy that we give and sow our tithes into your kingdom. We thank you for the opportunity in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen and amen. If you are giving on your way out today, you can drop by the black boxes right over there in that corner. And praise the Lord for that. I do want to share with you today, I feel like we've already had half a full church service in here this morning, so I'm not going to go too terribly long, but I do want to share with you for a few minutes today um, and continue the series that we began several weeks ago. I am going to give this one more try, Brandon. Never mind that. I'm going to put it here because it digs into my back when it's on my belt loops. So that's one slightly more comfortable thing I can do. Okay. Um, If you were with us at the beginning of this uh, month, how many of you were here for Vision Sunday, just by show of hands? I think a lot of us were here. So we outlined uh, a vision for hope church that you can see pretty much everywhere on all of our banners and things hope for uh, and we said that God has given us hope for three specific things and three specific areas and those three things are hope for strong families we get to we get to do stuff like dedicate babies we're we're believing God for strength in our families uh, the second thing is hope for transformation in the presence of the Lord. How many of you know that when you encounter God's presence, you get changed? Amen. And then number three, hope for our community. These are the three things that the Lord has placed before us, not just for vision for this year, but vision for every year, for every, uh, for as long as Hope Church is a church, for as long as there's breath in my body and I'm leading this place, uh, we're going to have hope for f- strong families, hope for transformation, and hope for our community. Now, I've spent the last several Sundays since the beginning of this month talking about those three things. Last week, I talked to you about hope for strong families. The week before, I talked to you about hope for transformation. Today, I want to talk to you about hope for our community. So I ask you to turn this morning to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two. It's good to see you guys this morning, by the way. It's good to be here. Isn't it good? Isn't it good to be around people that actually like you? Amen. There's an old saying that I used to hear coming up, and that is that you ought to go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. I'm here to tell you, you're celebrated at Hope Church this morning. You're celebrated. So give yourself a pat on the back for coming. Amen. (laughs) Acts chapter 2, I'll read this verse, and then we'll pray. Actually, before we read the verse, let's do something we haven't done in a long time. How many of you can guess what it is we haven't done? Let's make our confession of faith that we like to make. We love to declare this in faith over our lives this morning. Let's declare this out loud today. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Say that last line again. Today I am growing in the things of God. You believe you're growing in the things of God this morning? I do. Praise God. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, reading down through verse 47. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they continued steadfastly, In the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayer. And then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the hands of the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Amen. Aren't you glad for the word of the Lord this morning? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to read from your scripture, to read from your word, and to be impacted. Father, I thank you that the Bible says the entrance of your word brings light. Lord, I pray that as we, as we encounter your word this morning, that light invades our hearts, that revelation and knowledge, that the truth of your word interacts with our heart and teaches us, grows us, matures us, and strengthens us today. We thank you for these things, and we thank you that you're still speaking to us. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Um, so today, you know, you've heard me read this scripture before. And today, uh, we want to zero in on this idea of community and hope for our community. Sometime in the early, I don't know, 2010s, it's still weird to say that, but it's just some. sometime in the early 2010s. The word community became something of a Christian buzzword, and if you know me at all, you know I hate buzzwords, (laughs) hate them. In fact, I, I, I hate things that are trendy with such vehemence that I will refuse to engage with them if at all possible. I went for probably a year refusing to answer text messages when texting first became a thing. Because I was like, "There's no way I'm not going to be that accessible. If you if you can't call me, I don't want to talk to you." And so I resisted just as long as I could. But um, but community became something of a buzzword in the early 2010s, specific to the church. It was it was right around the same time that people started saying, "We want to do life with people." You remember that trend as well? It was like, "We just want to do life together." Like, what are you talking about? It sounded dumb to me. But, uh, but the word community kind of rose to the surface during that time period, and, and truth be told, community is super valuable. And, and, and even though the word community became trendy for a season, how many, of you, how many of you know that actually community is really, really important? Amen. In Genesis chapter 2, right around verse 18, God said that it's not good for man to be alone. How many of you have ever gone through a season or time in your life where you have felt isolated? You don't have to raise your hand. But if we were raising our hands and we were intellectually honest, I think everybody would raise their hand at that. Everybody's gone through, we've all gone through seasons and times where we were in isolation or where we were alone. And God said right from the get-go in the Garden of Eden, right after he created man, he said it's not good for him to be alone. It appears that we're actually created and designed by God intentionally for community. That this is not a fad. It's not something that just came up in the early 2010s when everybody said, let's do life together. No, this was actually part of God's original intention from the beginning of the world that we would actually live in fellowship and in community with one another. In fact, if you go, not if you read through chapter 2 and through chapter 3 of Genesis, you get to chapter 4, and who remembers what happened in chapter 4 of Genesis? How does chapter 4 start? Starts by Cain killing his brother Abel, murdering him, right? And, and what happens after that is God judges Cain, and he says to Cain that your punishment is you're going to wander for the rest of your life. No place is gonna feel like home to you and you're going to wander all the days of your life. In other words, you're gonna be isolated. You're going to be removed. That was Cain's punishment. His judgment that came upon him was that he was removed from any sense of fellowship and community. It was such a strong thing that Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And though there are people and there are shows and television shows on the History Channel where people go live in a cabin by themselves 7,000 miles away from anyone and they act like they're having a good time. At the end of the day, I think somewhere those folks are pretty lonely. When it's just you and the polar bears, it gets a little stale. You're not meant to live in isolation. Now, I understand you need moments where you separate, you go apart, right? My favorite, You want to know what my favorite time of the week is? Monday at lunchtime, when I go and sit in the sauna by myself for one hour with no human interaction. It's my favorite time of the week. Do, do people need separation? Yeah, you absolutely do. You got to be able to unwind. But to live in isolation is the opposite of how God created us to be. We need each other. Come on, we need each other. Amen. There's some stats that I think are, are interesting since we're talking about the importance of community. You know, three out of five people in America report feeling lonely regularly. Three out of five. I mean, there's three of them in that group that feel lonely out of five. Five. And they're in a group. They were in a group when they polled them. You three, you feel lonely? Yes, but you're standing next to someone. Never mind. It's a joke. Three out of, some of you will get that tonight when you're brushing your teeth. Oh, I know what he meant. Okay. Three out of five people in America report, report to feeling lonely frequently. This one hurts my heart. 61% of young people ages 18 to 25 report as feeling lonely frequently. This generation is dealing with loneliness in a way that no other generation in history has ever dealt with loneliness. The statistics for loneliness after the pandemic of COVID are highest among young people and among single moms. Church, we have a job to do. And our job is to establish and to steward and feed healthy community. Inside the church, people need to feel known and feel needed. That's why I say to you this morning, you're celebrated. You're celebrated just for sitting in the seat this morning. You didn't have to play an instrument. You didn't have to shake anybody's hand this morning at the door to be celebrated. We love you because you're here. We love you because you're you. We love you because Jesus loves you, not because of something you do. People in the church need to feel known and needed. People outside the church, that would be people in our community, need to know that they can count on us when they are in need. We need to be available to meet the needs of our community, amen? Otherwise, we become a church that exists only to serve its own interests. And I'm not interested in that. So knowing that community truly is valuable, it's not just a buzzword, and knowing that it's part of what God created us for, let's ask and answer the following question. What does biblical community actually look like? Is there something in the Bible that we can point to, that we can look back at and say, that's what it looks like? That's what we need to build. That's what we need to strive for. That's what we need to make our aim. I believe that there is indicators of a healthy, godly community from the passage that we just read in Acts chapter two. In fact, there's 10 indicators that I see in this passage and I'm gonna go kind of rapid fire through all 10 of those this morning. And then here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna spend the next five weeks on a whole series just on community. And we're going to break down each one of these 10 points. We're going to do two per Sunday. And and what's so cool is that they pair together so nicely. It's almost like God intentionally wrote the Bible the way that he did. (laughs) Who would have thought? Who knew that God was smarter than you? (laughs) 10 things, 10 indicators from the early church of what healthy, godly community is supposed to have and supposed to contain. These 10 indicators. Number one, I'm going to go through them fast and talk about them for a little bit, and then we'll dive much deeper into these in the coming weeks. Number one, the preaching of the word. Number two, the fellowship of the saints. Number three, eating together. Wild. Number four, prayer. Number five, reverence for God. Number six, miracles. Number seven, radical generosity. Number eight, contentment. Number nine, favor. And number 10, growth. Those are 10 things, 10 indicators that you can look at that you can say, honestly, from the Bible, from from this passage in Acts chapter two, this is what real healthy Christian community is supposed to look like inside of a church. The preaching of the word, the fellowship of the saints, eating together, prayer, reverence for God, miracles, radical generosity, contentment, favor, and growth. Healthy things always grow, amen. So let's talk about each one of these for the next 15 or 20 minutes, and then I'll let you go. Indicators of a healthy, godly community, number one. The preaching of God's word. Not surprising. Look at verse 42 again. It says, and they, that is the church in Jerusalem. That's the they. And they, the church in Jerusalem, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship In the breaking of bread and prayers, what's the first thing on that list? Doctrine. Notice that they, it says that they continued steadfastly in the doctrine. I'll talk about that more in the coming weeks. You know, you you don't just get strong in your heart by periodically glancing at the Bible. (laughs) You, you, you don't get strong and sturdy on the inside of your heart by just every now and again cracking the pages of scripture open. And gee, I wonder what God thinks about this. No, it says they continued steadfastly. That's consistently. In what? The apostles' doctrine. That's the word of God. Now, I don't have time to do it this morning. I'll do it in coming weeks. But if you go to some other places in the book of Acts, you'll find out that what is meant here by the apostles' doctrine refers to the word of the living God. If you go to Acts chapter 7, Peter says, it's not good for us to leave the word of God and prayer to serve tables, so pick out seven men among you. Anyways, I'm not going to quote all that because I'm going to do that in the coming weeks. But what does he mean by the apostles' doctrine? He means the word of God. The preaching of God's holy word is the only foundation upon which the church is to be established. I'm gonna say it again. The preaching of the holy inspired written word of God is the only foundation upon which the church is to be established. Now I love and value the presence of the Lord and the presence of the Lord is, the, is absolutely essential in the church. Because it's the presence of the Lord that makes church unique. It's the presence of the Lord that makes church an, a, a place where God wants to engage with people personally. So it's the presence of the Lord that makes church unique, but it's the word of the Lord that makes the church endure. It's the word of the Lord that makes the church persist. When Paul went to the Corinthians, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter two, I quoted it to you several weeks ago. He says, "My, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration of the power of God that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He said, I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And I desired to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. There is a foundation, That the church is established upon, and that is the word of the living God, which declares Jesus is Lord. The Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 8 the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. We're so thankful. For the presence of the Lord in our ministry, in our church. Aren't you so thankful that we praise and worship and God's presence comes and fills this place? I'm super thankful for that. And I, and I don't ever want to, to, to try to make, make it seem like the word of God and the presence of God are in competition for which is more important. I, that's not what I'm trying to do this morning. But rather what I want you to understand is that the word is the foundation upon which everything is built. If there's no word, it can't last. If there's no strength of his word, it can't endure. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Number two that we see in this same verse, verse 42, is they they continued steadfastly. Hey, Easter is gonna be here on April 9th, by the way. (laughs) That was awesome. Uh, Acts chapter two, verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and what? Fellowship, fellowship. What does the word fellowship mean? It's the Greek word koinonia. It means this, association, community. Well, that's cool. Communion, watch this, joint participation. The share which one has in anything. Like uh, h- how many of you have ever bought stock certificates or stock shares before in a company? Anybody invest their money in the stock market? Okay, a couple of you, all right. All right, uh, maybe we need to pivot and have a series on proper financial management. But anyways, um, if you've ever bought a stock before, then you've bought a share in a company. You purchased a little tiny piece of that company, right? Or maybe you were smart and you you got in on Amazon at the beginning. In which case, tithe by all means, amen. (laughs) Just kidding, it's just a joke. There was a, I heard a joke one time about a, a kid, two kids who were arguing at the baseball field, and uh, there, one dad showed up and, and he had a t shirt that says I own Nike, and because the guy bought like five shares of stock, and so, anyways, um, if you, <laughs> I don't feel like telling the whole joke. <laughs> if you if you've ever owned shares in a in a company, if you've ever owned stocks in a company, then you own a little tiny part of that company. You made an investment. And your investment got you a little slice of the pie. The word koinonia is actually very similar, although it doesn't come on the other end of a financial transaction. But it does represent and mean the share that one has in something. So if, if, if Hope Church is your church this morning, then you have a share in what happens here. You have, you, you have a slice of the pie. You, have a, you, you are a part of what God is doing in our church, right? That's what that word fellowship actually means. And that's the basis that, that community is built upon. It's, it's built when we come together and we take part in something and we jointly participate in what God is doing. The beautiful thing about the early church is that all of them participated all the time. I remember Sean and I were, were somewhere and he was, he was teaching and I was listening to him teach and I was giving him some good amens and, and he said, you know, everybody, everybody wants to talk about going back to the early church and we want things to be like it was in the early church. And he said, do you all realize that the early church went to church every day? Some people pray for stuff they have no idea what they're asking God for. What's the point? There was regular joint participation in what was happening. Your participation in the community of the saints matters. Number three, breaking bread. Look at what it says here. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Who would have, amen. If I was writing the book of Acts, I would have probably said something like pizza, maybe chicken wings, but they went with bread. That's fine, whatever. But who would have thought, who would have thought that eating together could be considered a spiritual activity? I'm, I mean, I, I say that with no ounce of humor in it, like really and truly, who would have thought that eating together could be considered a spiritual activity that, that you deciding that, hey, you know what, I'm going to take someone to lunch after church today that I don't normally hang out with just so that we can grow together is actually spiritual. Who would have thought? This speaks both in taking communion together. That's part of what he's talking about. But especially when you look at verse 46 and you see it extrapolated farther, this was was the church eating together and meeting together. It was, hey, you know, Johnny and his family's gonna come over to my house after we go to the hour of prayer at the temple today and we're gonna hang out and have some lunch together. We're gonna, you know, Share our hummus, you know? Some of you, again, it's a tough crowd this morning. <clears throat> What's one of the last things Jesus did with his disciples before he went to the cross? He ate with them. I mean, it's wild. When did Jesus wash the disciples' feet right before he ate with them? When was Judas identified as the one who would betray Jesus? Jesus. While they were eating. When did, when did John, watch this, when did John lay on Jesus? John the beloved, when did he lay on Jesus' breast and, and love on Jesus? At dinner. So many significant things in the last 12 hours of Jesus' life happened around the table. Who would have thought? Most Hebrew holidays actually revolve around feasts. there is value to us engaging with one another and breaking bread together i mean it doesn't sound like a deep revelation but there's so much that happens in the unification of people's hearts when they sit and and, and just just be together and eat together number 4 healthy sign of community is prayer no surprise here no surprise here right like, all right, glad you get done talking about that food stuff. Let's get back to something spiritual. Prayer, no surprise. A church is only as strong as the prayer habits of its members. A church is only as strong as the prayer habits of its members. I believe it was John Wesley who said that it seems that God, or excuse me, he said, it seems that man can do nothing apart from God and that God will do nothing except in response to a man's prayer. Let me say it again. It seems that man can do nothing apart from God, and it seems that God will do nothing except in response to a man's prayer. When people in the church get serious about their prayer lives, that's when stuff begins to happen. I don't know if you've been following all these spontaneous awesome revivals that keep happening all over our country in the past month where where young people on college campuses go in to have a chapel service and it just doesn't stop. What are they doing? They're praying, they're worshiping, they're coming before the Lord, they're baptizing people, they're getting people saved. God's doing amazing things. Every significant move of God started when somebody somewhere got serious about prayer. Number five, I'm almost done. Actually, I'm only halfway through, but I'll go quickly. Don't worry, I got a timer. It's telling me where I'm at. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun this morning. I hope you are too. Number five, reverence for God. Look at verse 43. It says, then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Fear came upon every soul. Now, when we say fear in this, we're not talking about terror. We're not talking about fear that makes you afraid. We're not talking about boo, ah, that, not that kind of fear. We are talking, however, about reverential awe for the person of God, for the person of Jesus Christ. And, and I think it's so interesting that the strongest stuff in the Bible So much of the strongest, most powerful manifestation of God happens amongst people who are deeply reverential towards the Spirit of God and towards the things of God. That that wherever you see spiritual decline, you can actually go back and, and it starts with spiritual casualness. Let me say that again. Wherever you see spiritual decline in a, in a person's life, in a family, in a church, in a community, whenever spiritually things begin to decline, somewhere back in the, in the past, people started to get very casual about the things of God. And there became a lack of reverence for who God actually is. We're seeing it in our world today. I wrote this in my notes. A church that loses its sense of reverence for God will eventually find its identity in things that are openly irreverent to God. Let me say that again because I want you to really think about this. We're seeing it happen right now. A church that loses its sense of reverence for God will eventually find its whole identity in things that are openly irreverent to God. It's a slippery slope. It starts with us saying, yeah, you know what? This really isn't that big of a deal. No, it's really not that big of a deal. Now we'll we'll ease up on this. We'll relax on this. And then some time goes by And and as time goes by, reverence for the things of God declines, 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 declines. And then what happens is that somewhere down the road, that church that, that used to hold a belief that's over here now actually celebrates and bases its identity in something that's completely irreverent to God. It's a slow fade, but it happens. What begins as subtle ultimately becomes brash. You can look at Jesus' ministry. You can look at the ministry of Paul. You can look all through the book of Acts. It's repeated multiple times. Reverence for the things of God is one of the keys to maintaining a purity in ministry. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, or excuse me, in the book of Proverbs, right at the beginning, right at the beginning of the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter one, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom. The word beginning in the Hebrew, I went and looked it up one time, it means the source of something. The source of something. The the, the fear of the Lord is the source from which his knowledge flows. It's It's like the spigot on the side of your house when you need water. Did you ever grow up like me and where you just ran around outside and played outdoors all day and after a while you got thirsty and you went to the spigot? You went to the hose? How many of you grew up taking drinks from a hose? Look at that and you're still good. You're still alive. That's great. You didn't have to wear a helmet, everything was good. Right? Listen, I crashed my bike plenty of times. I'm still here. I'm good. No, it's like when you're super thirsty and you need a drink, and what do you do? You go to the source of where the water comes out. Well, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord, the reverence for God, is the source that all knowledge comes from. So if we begin to discount and discredit awe and reverence for the things of God, we put more and more and more and more distance between ourselves and wisdom. And I'm telling you, it's a slow fade. Number 6. Six indicators of healthy godly community or 10 indicators of healthy godly community. Number 6, miracles. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. You think that was supposed to stop? If it does, then I have to shake my head and go, "What is God thinking?" Because if the power of God was only for a certain time, then then what then what are we doing? What's God thinking? I mean, everything else in the Bible indicates that the longer you go with the Lord, the better things get and the more intense they get. The Bible declares that the end of something is more glorious and better than the beginning of that same thing. So if the church started with miracles, why do we think that that would ever stop? Again, I'll talk in more depth about this in the the coming weeks. But God designed the church to be a supernatural reflection of him. And Jesus is the one who set the bar. Jesus is the one who set the bar. In John chapter 12, verse four, when he said, the works that I do shall you do also in greater works than these because I go to the Father. That was his idea, not mine. And that was his idea, not whatever preacher you saw on TV that you may or may not like. It doesn't matter. Jesus is the one who set the bar and said that the works I do, you'll do also in greater works. So miracles are supposed to be a part of the church experience, specifically to community. Community. I mean, what would happen if, if we got serious about taking one another to dinner and then all of a sudden I got a phone call and said, Pastor, you won't believe what happened. We were just having dinner talking about the goodness of God. We decided to pray for somebody and somebody got healed. Yes. Guys, that's the way it's supposed to happen. That's the way it's supposed to happen. I'm, I'm thrilled when miracles happen here in the pulpit. I'm thrilled to watch blind eyes open. I've seen it happen many times. I'm thrilled when stuff like that happens. I get super excited when it happens in your living room though. Number seven, indicator of healthy community, radical generosity, radical generosity. Look at verse 44. All who believed were together and had all things in common and they sold their possessions and goods and divided them up as anyone had need. Now, a lot of people interpret that as like, you know, communal living, like I got to sell everything I own to become part of this church. That's not what it says. It says they just sold possessions when somebody had a need. In other words, they were so committed to radical generosity that when, that when Billy over here had to go in for an operation and didn't have the money to take care of it, you know, uh, Susie over here was like, you know what? I got six cars. I'm gonna sell one of them and make sure that this guy gets his needs paid for. It's not, I'm gonna get rid of everything and we're all gonna wear togas and you know have one big communal garden. And it's, that's not what he's talking about. But he is talking about a commitment to a generous way of life so that there are no needs because we're just looking out for each other. Come on, man. What, what would happen if you just killed your selfishness? What would happen if you just totally annihilated selfishness and said, you know what? As much as I have, I'm going to be a blessing to someone. I'm going to look for a need. And rather than mock the need, I'm going to try to fill it. God loves when he finds someone through whom he can flow blessings and provision to someone else. The Bible says of Abraham that he was blessed to be a blessing. Number eight, almost done. Number eight, verse 45, or excuse me, verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. There they are, eating again. This is a hungry bunch. It must have been some Italians in the group. Eating lasagna after church. And they ate their food with, watch this, gladness and simplicity of heart. Everybody say contentment. Contentment. They were so content. Why? Because they were living together the way that God Designed people to live together in community. They were super content. Paul goes on in Timothy, says, gladness with contentment, or excuse me, godliness with contentment is great gain. That's what God said. That's what Paul said to Timothy, that that godliness with contentment is great gain. Most of us have it this way: godliness plus great gain equals contentment. That's not how that scripture reads. It's not that I have godliness and I have a bunch of great gain so that I can be content. It's I have godliness and a spirit of contentment and that equals great gain. Isn't that amazing? What would happen? What would happen if we stopped trying to one-up one another? What would happen if we just started to celebrate one another's victories? Oh, Billy got a new house. Oh, you know what? They paid off their house. Praise God, that's so awesome. Instead of, God, dog, why wouldn't God help me to pay off my house? Jerk. Golly. Susie's been believing God for a new car so she can drive those three kids to school every morning. And and guess what? God provided supernaturally a brand new car for her. Well, God, I I wish God would do something like that for me. I think you just figured out why he hasn't. It's funny, but it's really true. I think we just figured out why he hasn't. Contentment is part of the fabric of what holds Christian community together, that we rejoice in one another's blessings and that we bear one another's burdens. Number nine, favor. Go to the next verse, 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. That's not all the people in the church. That's all the people in Jerusalem. Praising God and having favor with all the people. You see, God, when his spirit and his hand is on something, favor begins to increase. When when church is functioning the way that it's supposed to, when community's happening the way God's designed it to, guess what? Your business should grow. Your standing in the community should increase. Now, I understand that there are times where where the community's hostile to you just because you're Christian. Don't think I don't understand what persecution looks like. I've been real persecuted in my life. If you want to know what persecution looks like, move to another city and plant a church. I dare you. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, soapbox over. I understand that there are times where there's persecution that comes against the church, but when the church is thriving and the community is smart enough to see it and the community actually gets behind it, then favor begins to increase. And God's hand comes not on just the church, but on the whole community. I can't tell you, there's so, there's so many experiences that I've read about and heard of throughout the years where God begins to do a revival in an area and the whole economy of that area begins to increase. Who was the the guy, you can help me to remember, Uh, Tommy, somebody that went to Argentina and had that big revival back in the 70s? Tommy Hicks, Hicks, thank you, thank you. When Tommy Hicks went to Argentina in the 70s and God had this, there was this explosive move of the spirit of God, their vegetables started growing big. (laughs) The community got so influenced, all, all the bars shut down, all the prostitution stopped, All the, I mean, just any kind of form of evil in the community just slowly eventually just just, it was eliminated because everybody was getting saved. It was like the whole town got saved, and all of a sudden their carrots were like three times bigger than they normally were. And their cabbage and their tomatoes and all their livestock, everything got so blessed. Favor increased. Can happen again. Number 10. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Number 10 is growth, salvations, salvations. Let's not forget the real reason that we're here. Come on, let's not forget the real reason that Hope Church exists. It's not to draw a bunch of people away from other churches so that we can say we did something good. It's so that people can be be translated out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of the son of God's love. It's so that people who are hurting can have an encounter with the real living Jesus. It's so that sinners don't have to be sinners anymore. They can become radical on fire believers who are committed to the lordship of jesus christ as long as heaven and hell are realities church growth is not an option why are we really here so that the lord can add daily those who are being saved i believe healthy things grow and i believe that the healthier our church is, the more we will see those going from darkness to light darkness to light darkness to light darkness to light light. I want to hear some, I once was blind, but now I see testimonies. Come on, I want some people to come in and go, man, I was, I was on my way to hell. I was on my way, ready to split hell wide open. And then I met a man named Jesus because of a church called Hope Church. So we're going to talk about those 10 things for the next several weeks. Are you excited? Can you stand to your feet this morning? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Mm. Anybody happy? Yep. Woo, woo, woo. Hallelujah. Why don't you do this? Why don't you grab the hand of the person next to you? Just get real uncomfortable for just a second. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.